So good to see all of you here at church today, and we're excited what the Lord's doing here. I want to reiterate what Brother Denny asked uh, of our men this, this uh, morning. We need all the men who are physically able to do so to help us uh, move the chairs in the main auditorium over into room A. And we're having new carpet installed there. That's a blessing I'll talk about another time, but we're going to have new carpet put inside there. So we need to get those chairs out. And then all the men tonight for evening service, you need to move all the chairs in this room over to the chapel. So if I can get help with that, because we've got new padded chairs coming here. How many are thankful for new padded chairs? Amen? Yeah, praise the Lord for that. Now, they, if they're not padded enough, see me on the side. And I'll get an offering from you to take care of that. Amen? That'll be a blessing. But anyway, this, that's going to be a blessing. But we need to get that done. We have chairs being delivered later this week. And we need to get those new chairs in here. So we need all the able-bodied men to be here. Now, men, don't run and say, I can't make it to church tonight. You be here tonight, all right? The ladies are not going to move chairs. We need the men to be here for that. That'll be a blessing. Joshua chapter 8. If your neighbor doesn't have a Bible, please share your Bible with them. I want you to read verses 1 to 8 with me. Here's what we're going to do this morning. I'm going to read the odd number verses like verse 1, and I'd like you to read uh, responsibly the even number verse, like verse 2. So you'll do that with me tonight, this morning, okay? I'll read verse, you, I read odd, you read even, all right? And the Lord said unto Joshua, Fear not, neither be thou dismayed. Take all the people of war with thee, and arise, go to Ai. See, I have given into thy hand the king of Ai and his people, and the city and his land. Congregation, verse 2, And thou shalt... So Joshua rose and all the people of war to go up against Ai. And Joshua chose out 30,000 mighty men of valor and sent them away by night. Congregation, and he commanded them. And I and all the people that are with me will approach unto the city. And it shall come to pass when they come out against us, as at the first, that we will flee before them. Congregation, for they will... Then you shall rise up from the ambush and seize upon the city, for the Lord your God will deliver it unto your hand. Congregation... Now read verse 9 to close us. Joshua therefore sent them forth, and they went to lie in ambush, and they abode between Bethel and Ai on the west side of Ai. But Joshua lodged that night among the people. You remember last week in chapter 7, we saw a terrible, terrible defeat. This morning in chapter 8, we see a wonderful, wonderful victory. We're going to see this morning what all of us need. How your reversals can result in a rebound. How defeat can result in victory. How trials lead to triumph. How when the devil pulls you down, God raises you up. This morning, I want to encourage you today from chapter 8 of Joshua, how the Lord gives a rebound after every reversal. Now, Father, this morning, bless the reading of your word. Use it, Lord, to speak to us. 
Sanctify thy people through thy truth, for thy word is truth. We pray that the word, which is precious seed and incorruptible seed, will find a great lodging place in the hearts of your people. Please deliver us this morning from wayside soil and shallow soil and thorny soil, which would try to rob and twist and choke out the word. We pray even right now that the Holy Spirit of God would move us to break up the fallow ground of our hearts and to turn it over so that, God, the soil is ready to receive the precious seed. And we pray this morning for much fruit that will abound today. We pray for a word of encouragement. We pray for God, for someone who's about to quit, to say, I'm not going to quit. I'm going to just buckle down and get, get with it. I pray for those who may have a trial coming up around the corner, that today will fortify them. I pray that today that we will see great doctrinal truth. I pray today the Scriptures would come off the pages and speak to our heart. We pray this morning that your word would not just be a seed, but we pray for it to be the sword, the sword of the Spirit, which would pierce and divide asunder the soul and the spirit and the joints and the marrows of the heart. And we pray this morning that you'll do a deep abiding work in our lives. Sanctify us, as Jesus said. Make us holy before you. God, give us hope and give us courage. And Lord, may through the message today you help anyone here who does not know your son, Jesus Christ, as Savior, that the message will point them to Christ. Lord, be glorified today and we'll give you thanks and glory. In Jesus' name and all of God's people say, Amen. You may be seated. You're a basketball fan. You might remember going back many years that there have been some, some pretty, pretty dramatic events that have happened in basketball history. And uh, one of them I'm thinking about involved a game that, that goes back to 2004. In fact, specifically on December 9th, 2004, when the San Antonio Spurs uh, played against the Houston Rockets. And the name Tracy McGrady might not mean anything to most of us here, but if you go back to that day, if you type, you Google December 9th, 2004, Tracy McGrady made history of the day. In fact, he goes down in history as one of the great, making one of the greatest comebacks ever played in a basketball game. The Rockets were losing badly to the Spurs. Back in that time, Tim Duncan was playing for the Spurs, and the Spurs had taken many world championships at that time, and, and it was just a really tough and tumble game, and the Spurs were ahead. It got down to the last 33 seconds of the game. Tracy McGrady had already been playing a great game, came, came unglued the last 33 seconds. Uh, and in that last 33 seconds, if you can think with me in terms of time, in 33 seconds' time, Tracy McGrady took control of the situation. The Rockets were behind several points. He got them to catch up. He scored 13 points, if you can imagine this, 13 points in 33 seconds. If you go back and look at some of the replays, there were some impossible shots this man made. 13 points in 33 seconds, and as, the, as, the, as, the, as the, the clock was ticking, at the very last second, he shot a long ball from there, and he made the shot, and he brought his team, the, the Houston Rockets, to win that game 81-80 to with an almost impossible shot. When you look at this, the, the, this, the, the clips on this, this is one of the many great uh, comebacks that ever happened. And this morning, as we look, consider that as our starting point, I'm looking at chapter 8 of Joshua, which is a very lengthy chapter chapter, but a very important one. It's not one that normally comes up on the radar screen or in the thoughts of most people as, as a chapter you would read 
to find encouragement or inspiration or to help you during times of discouragement. But all of us who go through discouragement and all of us have, that have setbacks and all of us that get diagnosed with problems and areas, sometimes are wondering, where do we go for my help? And many times someone will tell you, well, let's go to Proverbs chapter 3 and verses 5 through 6 because the Bible says, trust in the Lord with all thy heart and lean on into thine own understanding and in all thy ways acknowledge him and he shall direct thy path. And we'll go to somewhere like that and we'll go to some other verse like Matthew chapter 11 verse 28 where Jesus invites us to cast our burdens upon him or 1 Peter 5 7 where Peter says to believers that are struggling cast all thy care upon him for he careth for you and those are all good verses of scripture but I would dare to tell you this morning when I'm done with Joshua chapter 8 my prayer is that Joshua would be one of those favorite chapters that you're going to just remember you're going to make a notation on that when I'm down or I'm discouraged or my husband's discouraged or my wife's discouraged or there's a church member discouraged that's the chapter I'm going to take them through so they can help understand what to do. Many times as we as we go through the Christian walk and the spiritual life journey, the walk of faith, in all honesty, all of us struggle with some areas of our life. There's the struggle with sin. There's the struggle with people relationships. There's the, there's the struggle with, you know, just, just obeying God. You know, we have these struggles there. And a lot of times we, we feel probably like Joshua will, as I'll talk about in a minute, we probably feel like Joshua, children of Israel, as you, as you're, you go back to Joshua chapter 7. You feel defeated. You feel a bit unsure about yourself. You're not sure what decisions to make. And you're a little gun shy what to do. And you kind of feel like, I don't know, you know, like Josh, I'm probably wondering right then at that point, I'm wondering if he even thought maybe I shouldn't even be leading this situation right now. And we go through circumstances like that. And then we have to read Joshua chapter 8 to remind us that God is on the throne. Amen. And God works in your life and mine to bring us out of tough situations. The word rebound means to make improvements or an increase after a recent decline or decrease. The word rebound means to make an improvement or an increase or a turnaround after a recent decline or decrease. It's like the story I started with this morning. He has the idea of making a dramatic, almost impossible comeback. He has the idea of saying no to setback, no to defeat, and no to previous failure. This morning, we're going to see where Joshua and Israel make an incredible rebound. They go from a reversal to a rebound. They go from the place of failure to success. They go from defeat to win. They go from being written off to being winners. They go from being victims to being victor. They go from the defeat of sin to victory in Jesus Christ. Today as we look at Joshua chapter 8, we're seeing a group of people that faced disaster and setback in Joshua 7, rising above that situation. And in Joshua 8, because of God's intervention, because of God's help, because of God's support, because of God's confidence, and because God was at their side, they rise again and are victorious. This morning, I want us to see from this passage of scripture how all of us can go from reversal to rebound. We're looking at Israel here at the city of Ai, and I want to give you a couple of preliminary thoughts before we get into our passage this morning. They have been defeated at Ai. You might want to make a notation in your Bible here. The name of the city Ai means a heap of ruins. Ai means a heap of of ruins. The first mention of Ai takes us back to Genesis chapter 12 when Mo, when Abraham is called from his father out of a pagan lifestyle. He's 75 years of age and he says, he says, Abraham, I want to get out of your homeland of Ur of the Chaldees. That's back in the land of Syria, which we know Syria today. I want you to get out of your pagan worship. And he said, I want you to go to a land that I'm going to lead you into. And Abraham, of course, walks out there by faith. And we find Abraham as he's making this journey. He camps between two cities. He camps between the 
city of Bethel, Bethel meaning the house of God, and he camps over at Ai. He was at the place between two locations. One extreme, the house of God. The other extreme, a heap of ruins. And it's kind of a reminder to you and I as Christians, many times where we pitch our tent, the direction we pitch our tent might determine whether we have victory or whether we have defeat. Here is Abraham between Bethel and Ai. I wonder this morning as we start this passage of Scripture, where is your spiritual tent pitched at? What direction is it pointing at? We're just pilgrims in this land. We're just passing through. We have to remind ourselves, this is not our permanent abode. I have a home in heaven. You have a home in heaven. And we're just passing through this world. And we have to remind ourselves, be careful that we don't get so caught up and so entrenched with the things of this world. We lose sight of that which is permanent and that which is eternal. And that's what those things which God has prepared for us. And today we see in this passage of scripture how the heap of ruins becomes a place a victory for Joshua and the people of God. Notice, first of all, in verses 1 to 2, we see this man Joshua coming off of a, of a time of defeat. We see, first of all, the words of a confidant. Now, a confidant is someone that you trust, that you confide in, someone that is close to you. You know that the words of this confidant are exactly what you need. I think of a husband and wife relationship. You would consider your spouse your confidant, the person you can find in the most and you look to for support and help. And I want you to notice, going back to chapter 7, which you notice the situation they're coming off of. In verse 24, we find this. In chapter 7, verse 24, And Joshua and all Israel with him took Achan, the son of Zerah, and the silver and the garment and the wedge of gold and his sons and his daughters and his his oxen and his asses and his sheep and his tent and all that he had. And they brought them into the valley of Achor. And Joshua said, why hast thou troubled us? The Lord shall trouble thee this day. And all Israel stoned him with stones and burned them with fire after they had stoned them with stones. And they raised over him a great heap of stones unto this day. So the Lord turned from the fierceness of his anger. Wherefore the name of that place was called the valley of Achor that day. Just a few preliminary thoughts. Number one, remember the name Achan means troubler. And God asked the question of this man whose name meant troubler. Why hast thou troubled us this day? When they took this man, this man, if you would, this is an Old Testament example of when a church has to discipline for unrepentant, unconfessed sin. And here was a man who thought he could hide his sin. He took of the things which God says, do not take anything out of the city. Everything from the city of Ai belongs to me. He said, the city of Jericho belongs to me. You're not to touch any of these things. Israel faced a horrific setback at Ai. They tried to take Ai on their own terms and their own power and they failed and because of that 36 men lost their lives and they ran from the men of Ai they ran from a very small group of people and they felt defeated so God told Joshua there's sin in the camp you've got to deal with this issue here and so Joshua would roll it down God told him what the problem was the big picture and then it was his responsibility to scroll down and boil it down to find out where was the source of the problem the source of the problem was this man by the name of Achan who's of the tribe of Judah. 
They'd cover this man's sin. They went under his tent. They looked under his tent. He had buried the silver and the gold which belonged to God. He took that which was not supposed to be his. He took the garments, all these things that he had, then covered all that. And when that man had, had revealed that he'd sinned, he was unrepentant. He had no remorse in his heart. In fact, they had to get it out of him. He would not voluntarily confess that he did these things. They had to get it out of him. And as a result of that, that man brought disaster upon him and upon his family and upon all that he had. The condemnation of God was upon them. And you'll notice here, Joshua, he had to exercise the sternness of a leader. He said, why hast thou troubled us? And the Lord shall trouble thee to save. When all of Israel, they had picked up stones and they stoned him. And I have to believe with all my heart this morning that as they did so, they realized they had to do it as, as far as performing justice. But there was probably inside of all of them just the fear of thinking, wow, what, what if this was me that had done that? And so they, they had dealt with this man. They took him out. They put a great heap of stones on him. And the location, you'll notice in verse 26, where they put this man is called the Valley of Achor to this day, which shows up later on in one of the minor prophets. And Achor means the Valley of Trouble. It was always a, that marker where this man was, where they put the stones over him. With that marker there was a reminder this man had sinned, this man had led to a setback, and this man had to be punished because of that. Now I want you to put yourself in, in Joshua's shoes for a minute as we look at our first thing. Joshua's probably feeling as a leader very down. He's feeling like, man, I never thought I'd have to face a situation like this. I never thought I'd have to deal with a sin issue like this. He's probably feeling down. He's probably feeling a little bit uncertain about himself. He's really not feeling certain if he wants to continue leading. The people are feeling down. I mean, this was, as far as all the tribe of Judah, this was one of their men. They're probably thinking, wow, this was just really hard. And you know, all these things are going on. And you can't imagine it was one thing to have the setback at Ai. Now they're dealing with the fact they had to deal with the sin of this man by the name of Achim. And the Bible tells us something that's very important. It says in verse 26, so the Lord turned from the fiercest of his anger. We go from chapter 7, verse 26. Now look at chapter 8, verses 1 and 2. In chapters 8, verses 1 and 2, we see it's not just Joshua dealing with what am I supposed to do and what am I doing here and how bad he feels. We see God intervening in the situation. We see God coming to Joshua in the words of a confidant. And you'll notice God coming to him to encourage him, to bolster him, to come along his side. And notice in chapter 8, verse 1, the Lord said unto Joshua, I want to say today for every brother and sister in Christ, every visitor here today, if you are down, if you are discouraged, you're facing setback, you're facing heartache, you're facing sorrow, you're facing difficulty, you feel like you're in the darkness, a dark point in your life, I want to just tell you this morning, let the Lord come to you like he came to Joshua. Amen. Let the Lord come to you with encouragement and let the Lord come to your side and let the Lord come in a still small voice and let the Lord come to you even through this passage of scripture. The Lord said to Joshua, and I want to personalize it. Let the Lord speak to you and let the Lord speak to you and to you and to you. Let him come alongside of you and encourage you along the way. Let him remind you that I'm with you always, even to the end of the world. Let him remind you that the Lord is our helper. I will not fear what man shall do unto me. Let him encourage you that he's at your side. Let him encourage you that God never changes. Let him encourage you that there is an end to the trial according to God's time. Let him encourage you that let 
let your, not your hearts be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. Be at the place where you realize in this world you shall have tribulation, but be of good cheer. Jesus has overcome the world. Notice he's encouraged. Would you notice in verse 1, he's encouraged in his valor. He's encouraged in his courage. Listen, I'm telling you, the first thing that happens to us, man, that takes your morale out, that kind of just takes the air out of the balloon, that kind of just takes out your motivation, is when you're having to deal with tough stuff, you feel discouraged. You feel like you've just been, just like somebody stepped all over you. And that's how Joshua felt, even though he did what God wanted him to do. And notice the first thing we find in verse 1, God encouraging him according to his valor. And you notice he says, Fear not, neither be thou dismayed. I'm going to tell you this morning, we have fear. We have fear about making the next decision. Some of you have fear about being in church this morning. Some of you were fearful about even if you're a first-time visitor or guest, returning visitor. Do I, you know, do I even feel like I don't know anybody here? And I'm a little fearful just walking on the campus. And we have fears. We have fears about a doctor's report and doctor's meetings. We have fear about getting on the plane. We have fear about facing our troubles. We have fear about facing a confrontation that needs to be made. We have the fear that we've, we've wronged somebody, knowing we need to ask their forgiveness. We have a fear about doing that. We have a fear of realizing maybe we have a struggle in our life that we've got to be honest about and deal with. I mean, we've got fears. And the Bible says to Joshua this, dif- this difficult time in his life, fear not, neither be thou dismayed. And I just want to say this morning is God is encouraging uh, Joshua and his valor. God encourages you and me to fear not as well. I'm thankful for the fear nots of the Word of God. Frequently, from the Old to the New Testament, God gives us these, these specific times, the fear nots of the Bible. Listen to what God told Abraham when he was fearful. He said, Abraham, fear not, I am thy shield and thy exceeding great reward. The Lord told Mary when she was told that she would bring forth, she would be, she would have a virgin birth and she's trying to wrap her mind around, what do you mean a virgin birth? And what do you mean that the son of God, the son of the highest that I'll bring him forth? What do you mean? I'm a sinner. And she's, he told Mary this, fear not, Mary, for thou hast found favor with God. Or to Joseph, when he came to Joseph and Joseph was, was vacillating his mind, do I divorce her? What do I do? Has she cheated on me? Has all these things that were going through his mind and God came to him through the angel Gabriel and he said fear not Joseph to take unto thee Mary thy wife for that which is conceived in her is of the Holy Ghost and I want to say to us this morning as a congregation don't be afraid to live for God don't be afraid to rise up in faith don't be afraid to confess that sin don't be afraid to take that step of faith don't be afraid to confront that situation don't be afraid neither be thou dismayed God comes to us and encourages you and me in our courage and our valor he says fear not neither be thou dismayed. And then notice this morning in verse 1, not only did he encourage him in his valor, but you notice he encouraged him in the matter of victory. Now he's got some thoughts in his mind thinking, well, you know, how are we going to win the battles? I mean, God gave us victory at Jericho. How are we going to win Ai? How do we go forward from here? And he's trying to think, and he's trying to think from his standpoint, well, you know, all the Canaanites... And throughout the land, they've heard what happened to us, and we were, we greatly embarrassed ourselves. What do we do? And God comes to him and the men of war, and he encourages them to be victorious. Notice verse 1 again. The Lord said to Joshua, fear not, neither be thou dismayed. He said, take all the people of war with thee, and arise, go up to Ai. See, I have given into thy hand the king of Ai and his people and his city that and his land. I don't know about you, but I kind of imagine that was Joshua's morning verse that day. That was his my God morning that day, amen? That was his, that was his, his devotion for the day. God came to him and said, fear not, 
Be neither be thou dismayed. Take all the people of war with thee. Those same men that went with you to conquer Ai before, take them again. They need to see that I still have confidence in your leadership. They need to say that they're still needed in the work of God. He says, Arise, go up to Ai. I've given into thy hand the king and his people and the city. And he said in verse 2, Thou shalt do to Ai and her king as thou didst unto Jericho and her king. Only the spoil thereof and the cattle thereof you shall take for a prey unto yourselves. Lay thee in ambush for the city behind it. God God gave Joshua the big picture. He told him, here's what you're going to do. That's what God does for us. God has given to us the big picture on, how, on reaching the world with the gospel of Jesus Christ. God gives us the big picture. He says, go ye and teach all nations. Go and preach the gospel. But listen, the, when you boil it down, the strategization and the implementation God gives to us to work out in our specific sphere, He gives that to us. God gives us the ability to work out our salvation with fear and trembling. So notice in verse 1 and 2, God says, I'm going to give you Ai. I'm going to give you the king. I'm going to give you the city. And he said, I want you to take the men of war. You've got it done, but you take those men of war and go back and fight that battle. And he's saying, you're going to be victorious. And the, the word I want you to notice very quickly is verse 3. In verse 3 it says, so Joshua arose. And I'm just thankful this morning that Joshua got up. Joshua arose. He saw the victory was his. And I want to encourage us this morning, let's arise. Let's arise from our circumstances. Let's arise and take on the battle and be used of God. The Bible says here, God gave him the victory. Jacob told his son Gad, a troop will overcome him, but he will overcome in the end. The Bible says in Isaiah 25 verse 8 about, about the, the shadow of death. He says that death shall be swallowed up in victory. I'm reminded this week, earlier this week, we had a good brother in Christ by the name of Lester Johns, who was reached to our church soul winning program back in February of 2011. And brother, last, the first time he came to our church, he fell in love with the church. He came, he was reached on a Saturday. The very next Sunday, he came to church. That very next Sunday, he came that, to church on that morning and was there and he heard the choir and he always told his family, man, I love the church choir and I love the music of the church. And he felt at his place and over time that we got the gospel to less and less and a minimum got insurance of his salvation. And then July of that same year of 2011, Lester followed the Lord as spiritual baptism. He had a battle with the fact that he had many of his family members who were not believers. And recently, uh, Les, Les's health went kind of took a downturn and he just wasn't doing very well. And then we got a uh, notification around the week of July 4th that uh, Les was getting changed and he just kind of fell over and as he passed out that they realized that he had, he had passed from this life into eternity. And we got the call. We responded. We got back to his wife told his wife that, listen, we're so sorry that, that Les has passed on, but we want to give you a word of comfort and assurance. We know that Les is in heaven with the Lord. We know that the mansion Jesus began building for him was completed the moment he breathed his last breath. We want to give you encouragement that we know that when he closed his eyes for the final time in this life, he opened his wide his eyes wide in eternity and he saw his Savior face to face. And I said, his, your, your husband's in heaven. And the Bible doesn't call death a defeat. It calls it gain. And listen, death is a graduation for every believer. And it's what the Bible says here, death is swallowed up in victory. And we're so thankful that on this past Monday night, in spite of a lot of obstacles we face, that about 25 to 30 of our members joined me there at the memorial service for Lester John. And I was privileged to be the last speaker to get up. We just gave a very simple gospel message. And I said from John 11 verses 25 and 26, where Jesus said, I am the resurrection, the life. He that believeth on me, though he were dead, yet shall he live. And whosoever liveth and believeth on me, he shall never die. Believeth thou this, as we have the liberty of the Holy 
Holy Spirit in spite of tough circumstances to get the gospel out. We're thankful for 19 adults who stood up at the invitation that said, I've accepted Jesus Christ as my personal Savior. And I'm just saying this morning, you might think that God is not alive. And you might think that God doesn't work through service. But I'm going to tell you this morning, God is alive and God is working. But He calls on you and me to realize He gives us the victory. The victory is not ours because of our strength or because of our personality or because of some skill that we have. Whatever victory we have comes because God gives us the promise and the ability of claiming it from Him. Paul said, we are troubled on every side, yet not distressed. We are perplexed, but not in despair. Persecuted, but not forsaken. Cast down, but not destroyed. And I'm thankful this morning, God came alongside of Joshua in verses 1 and 2. And He gave him the words of a confident. Oh, may God come to you where you're seated in this heritage center right now. And that seat you're at. And if you're going through some tough circumstances, you're, you're not sure what decision to make. And you're going back and forth. You're vacillating. You're not sure what to do. Or you've got one foot out the door and one foot in the church. May I say this morning, would you listen to the words of that great confidant, the Lord Jesus Christ, who comes alongside of you now. And He's telling you, stay in church. And He's telling you to Stay in the Word of God. And He's telling you to stay in prayer. And He's telling you if you need to get saved this morning, you need to come down to the old-fashioned aisle and accept Jesus Christ this morning as your personal Savior. Oh, this morning we see the words of a confidant. But notice, secondly, we see the work of a conqueror. Notice in verses 3 to 29, and we're not going to read all those verses, but notice in verses 3 to 29, we see the work of a conqueror. We see the Lord working and giving them the reversal, the rebound that they're looking for. We see in verses 3 to 29 how they go from reversal to rebound in Joshua, verse 3 to 39, Joshua is now a leader back on top. And Joshua is a leader that God has shown his confidence to. And God is a leader that God, Joshua is a leader that God is validating. And in verses 3 to 29, we see Joshua as a conqueror. Brother and sister in Christ, I remind you this morning in Romans 8, 37, the, the Apostle Paul reminds us in our times of difficulty, we are more than conquerors through him that loved us so. And I want to encourage you today, if you feel like you're defeated, you feel like nobody trusts you, you feel like it can't happen. I want to tell you, according in God's eyes, we are more than conquerors through Him that loved us so. You and I have to decide this morning, we're not going to live in defeat any longer. And you and I have to decide this morning, we will not be bound to sinfully addictive behaviors. And you and I have to decide this morning that we will not continue to allow ourselves to succumb to oppressive and negative thoughts. And you and I have to decide that we will not be the servants of sin. We need to rise to victory because thanks be unto God, which gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. I say this morning, let's arise in victory. Victory is in Jesus, not in self. Victory is in Jesus and not in self-help. And victory is in Jesus and not through some psychology program. Victory alone is in our Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ today. So how do you get that victory? How was Joshua? How does he teach us? How does he show the traits of a spiritual conqueror? Notice in verse 3, if you would, we see, first of all, the word, a spiritual conqueror is seen in his conscience. And it starts with the conscience of the individual. Notice we see him arising in his conscience. The Bible says, so Joshua arose. I like that. Listen, when you get knocked down, it's time to get back up. Listen, if you get knocked down, you just don't say, I'm not going to lay here on the floor and I'm not going to rest here. I'm going to get back up. He did what you need to do as a leader. He did what you need to do as a husband, as a father. He did what you need to do as a wife and as a mother. He did what you need to do as a church member. He did what you need to do if you're knocked down because of some problem or obstacle. You've got to get up. And Joshua got up. Joshua could have taken the back seat the easy way out, but he got up. He arose. He got up to do the right thing. And I want to tell you this morning, doing the right thing is following a good 
conscience. Acts 24, 16, Paul said this, Herein do I exercise myself to have always a conscience void of offense towards God and man. May I say something to you this morning if you're on the verge of quitting? May I say something this morning? You feel negative about what's going on? You have any influence over anybody's life? There are eyes watching you. They're watching you and me very carefully. They're watching to see, will you be back in your place at the next service? They're watching to see, what kind of example will you have? They're watching to see, when this new building opens, if you're going to have a good spirit about the building or a divisive spirit about the building. They're going to look at you and say, when the offerings are being taken up, are you giving cheerfully as unto the Lord, or are you giving grudgingly because you're afraid to give to the Lord? They're looking at you. I'm telling you this morning, it doesn't matter who you are in this room, there are eyes watching you and looking at you, looking to you to see what kind of example you'll be, what kind of inspiration be. You're either going to be example to go forward or example of going backwards. You're either going to be example of someone victorious or you're example of someone who's going to quit. You're either going to be example of someone who agrees with the doctrines of the Word of God or you're going to be someone who says, I'm in contradiction to the doctrines of the Word of God. I'm saying this morning, this man Joshua decided that moment in time, yes, he looked over there at the Valley of Acor, and he looked at that heap of stones and he looked at that man who troubled that place, but now that was behind him and he said, now at this point in time, I've got to be a victor in Jesus Christ. He arose and I'm saying this morning, if someone and stone a stone at you, knock you down. You get on up. You arise from that circumstance. If you feel like you've been knocked down by some addictive behavior, some sinful habit, you arise from that situation. You've been diagnosed with some health ailment that's irreversible and the doctors can't do nothing and medical technology has not gone to a place where you can be cured. You just decide this morning you're going to rise from that situation and say, I'm not going to be defeated by those things today. The right thing is not to quit. The right thing is to work hard. You young people in this room, if you don't have a job this summer, work hard anyway. Go mow some lawn. Come to church. I've got a lot of areas that need to get swept up around here, amen? They're laughing because they know what I'm talking about. <laughs> the right thing is to do what God tells us to do. By the way, the right thing is to be in church. Amen? Peter and John, I'll talk about this tonight. My message tonight is how the church got its power. Peter and John were censured for preaching the gospel. The chief priest said, Don't you say any more of that name. You have filled this city with the doctrine of this man. Caiaphas was done speaking to them. They said, what do you think about that? And these were the words of the Apostle Peter and Apostle John. We must obey God rather than man. A rebound leader gives up. Another stay down for the count. Rebound leader keeps going when others want to quit. Rebound leader stays true and loyal when others want to defect. Ladies and gentlemen, I say to you this morning, let's arise like Joshua. The Bible says, so Joshua rose. I'm saying this morning, we need some brothers and sisters of Christ. We're on the cusp of getting that new building. I need some brothers and sisters of Christ who are going to rise and say, count me in, Pastor. Count me in, Jesus. I'm in here. I'm in to get the job done. I'm in to help build that building. I'm in to win souls to Christ. I'm in to be a, have a good spirit and have my devotion. I'm in. Count me in. I'm just saying this morning, maybe you're going through a valley of acorn right now. You're going through some trouble, but you don't have to stay there. Arise like Joshua did. I'm saying this morning, he arose in his conscience, and you and I need to rise in our conscience this morning. 
we see this man as a conqueror in his conscience. But notice verses 3 to 17. We see this man as a conqueror through his charisma. Now, I'm not talking about his charm. I'm talking about his wit. When it's time to make a rebound, everyone who's watching us wants to know this. Will you take back the situation? Will you take ownership and turn the victory, the defeat into victory? Will you take ownership and turn that defeating situation into a victorious situation? Will you take ownership in that instead of letting the devil smirk about what he did? You can say, no, we're going to give glory to Jesus Christ and have the joy of the Lord in this matter. Amen. And I'm saying this morning, as we look at the situation, notice Joshua. This is amazing. I wish I had time to develop this. Just a whole leadership lesson. I don't have time on it. But notice in verses 3 to 17, it encourages you and me about our leadership or about our influence. Now, everybody in this room, you have an influence over somebody. If someone will do what you tell them to do, they'll take your suggestion. You have influence. And I'm going to tell you this morning, an area that we don't talk about as far as stewardship much is the stewardship of our influence. And listen, I believe today, if our influence is leading people in the wrong direction, it's inspired them to do the wrong things, it's putting wrong thoughts in their mind, we might want to rethink what we're doing and get in alignment with the Lord and try to spend some time in the Word of God and just say this morning, I'm going to follow the Lord and I want my leadership and I want my influence influence to count for Jesus Christ. And I wanted the people to know that I'm for prayer meetings and I'm for Bible reading and I'm for going to church and I'm for winning souls and I'm for baking up offering and I'm for living for Jesus and I'm for having a good spirit and I'm for having a family that glorifies God. I'm just saying this morning, we must be cognizant of our charisma or our influence upon other people there. Notice in this passage of scripture, verses three to 17, he uses his charisma to set the direction. Can I ask you a question this morning? What direction are you pointing people? Which way are the winds blowing and where are you pointing people? And listen, he set the direction. He told these people, here's what we're going to do. He said in verse 4, he commanded them saying, Behold, you shall lie in wait against the city, even behind the city. Now, listen, if anybody was concerned about credibility problems at that moment, it was Joshua. You know what I'm talking about. You blow it. You mess up. You want to, man, I don't even know if I got credibility anymore. I don't know if they'll listen to me. I don't know what I'm going to do. And listen, Joshua had those same concerns, but God had validated him. And God said, I'm still for you. He said, listen, I'm I'm there with you. The people be with you. And he set the direction. Listen, in our influence, we must be thorough in what what we do. And that's what he does here. We must be clear in our communication. He was very clear what they needed to do. He took the arm, the men of, the men of war, and he took 30,000 of them, and 30-some thousand of them, and he put them behind the city as an ambush. And then he took some other men with him, and he laid on the west side there. And as he did so, he, he, he created a diversion so that when the sun came up, it looked like they were approaching the city. And as the men of Ai saw that, the men of Ai saw, oh, they're coming again. Let's go chase after them. And what Joshua had in mind was to lead those people away from the city so the men behind the city could come and ambush ambush the city and set it on fire. And then as soon as they did that, as the people started hearing the smoke go, seeing the smoke go up and hear all the confusion, they would turn around and look. Then Josh would come with his men. They would attack him. And another set of men from the other side would attack him. Then the one from the city would come and they would attack him. And there they would take over that whole situation. Listen, through his influence, he was telling them the strategy. Listen, a lot of times, as I said, God will give us the big picture, but he leaves it for us as far as our, uh, the, uh, our opportunity of seeing what is the mind of God and how do you put this in action and how 
how do you get this done? That's why you have many different kinds of churches and, and different kinds of leaders. But God gets his work done. And you'll notice here, God left the, the, the details for Josh to take care of, but he gave him the big picture. And so it was very important for him and his influence that he needed to set direction. Mothers and dads, that's why when we are in parenting, the Bible gives us everything we need. But to put it in force and to work it out with a different person out of your children, God leaves that your responsibility. You take the principle and you put it into motion. Leaders must be clear in their communication. Leaders must instill confidence. Listen, in verses 3 to 17, we see a leader here who's instilling confidence to them as a conqueror for Jesus Christ. He has to give confidence. I'm going to say this morning, we must be people that give confidence in other people. We must instill within them the idea that it can be done and it will be done for God there. Then notice, leaders obey the Lord. The Lord said to him, see, I've commanded you. Leaders know the strengths of this pe- their people and where to use them best. Look at verses 10 to 13. And Joshua rose up early in the morning and he numbered the people. He started thinking like we have to think. Okay, how many do I put here? How many do I put over here? How many do we need for this situation? He rose up early in the morning and he numbered the people, the Bible says in verse 10. And he went up, he and the elders of Israel before the people of Ai. And all the people, even the people were that were with him, went up and drew nigh and came before the city and pitched on the north side of Ai. Now there was a valley between them and Ai. And he took about 5,000 men and set them to lie in ambush between Bethel and Ai on the west side of the city. And when they had set the people, even all the hosts that was on the north of the city and their leers in wait on the west of the city, Joshua went that night into the midst of the valley. Listen, he was at a place I wonder if they're going to trust me. I wonder if they're going to follow. But listen, they knew that God had his hand on his, this man. And they knew that God had validated his leadership. And they knew they could follow this. And by the way, as we get to the end of this chapter, we find that as a leader in his influence, he finished the task. May I encourage us this morning. Let's finish what God has called us to do. Let's run the race. and let's, let's finish the task. Let's get it done. Let's cross the finish line. But whatever God gives us to do, don't stop halfway. Don't stop for just a few moments. Get the job done. Start well continue well, finish well for God's glory this morning. Well, we see him in his charisma as a conqueror, but notice as a conqueror, we see him in his cooperation. Look at verses 18 and 19. We see a conqueror in his conscience. He rises up. We see a conqueror through his charisma and influence. He realizes you better use your influence for the glory of God. But notice this man in his cooperation. This is something that was not scripted in the beginning, but as the, as the battle was unfolding and as things started to happen, God gives him another word of instruction right in the middle there. And the Bible says in verse, verse 17, And there was not a man left in Ai or Bethel that went not out after Israel, and they left the city open, pursued after Israel. Here's what they did. The men of Ai, they fled out their cities thinking they had the victory in their hands by chasing after Joshua's men. And as every man bailed out the city, they were so cocky, they were so overconfident, they said, we don't need to worry about our cities. We've got the enemy right over here. And as they did so, Joshua drew them out. And God now would use to would take that strategy to defeat them. And notice the cooperation of Joshua right as the battle started. God inserted something at that moment that he felt like Joshua needed to hear at that time, not earlier before this started there. And he said in verse 18, he said, the Lord said to Joshua, stretch out the spear that is in thy hand towards Ai, for I'll give it into thy hand. And Joshua stretched out the spear that he had in his hand towards the city. Can you imagine this? He stretches out his hand. I'm going to get a bottle here. That I've been using this a lot. And I want you to imagine he had a spear already in his hand. He was ready to go to battle. And God says, I want you to stretch out your spear towards the city. 
And he stretched out his spear towards the city, probably like this. He stretched out like this. And as long as he stretched his spear out and he pointed the direction towards the city, they were assured of victory. And God knew the people needed a focal point. He knew the people needed a spiritual marker to remind them the victory's there. He said, just follow the spear. Look at the spear. Remind yourself that you've got the victory there. And probably in Joshua's mind, he went back 40 years before when God used uh, used him there against against the uh, the, the Amorites there over there in, jo- in in Exodus chapter 17 when they were being attacked from behind God told uh, God told Moses to tell Joshua go and fight the battle and Moses went up on top of the hill remember that he went up the top of the hill with the rod of God in his hand and as Moses held the rod up with two men supporting him on both ends as long as they looked at the rod they were sure of the victory and maybe in Joshua's mind he was thinking man that's what God did for me when I had the victory now I've got other men uh, fighting the battle and he had his arms stretched out and he was giving a direction he was showing faith in god he was showing them that the victory is theirs he was showing them you can trust in god you can have faith in god and as long as his spear was pointing towards that city that the victory is won and if we read through this you go down i think it's to verse 26 here the bible says in verse 26 for joshua drew not his hand back wherewith he stretched out the spear until he had utterly destroyed all the inhabitants of ai he set the marker for them he said the spear is drawn and as long as if somebody got tired they'd look up and they'd see joshua extending the spear and if they got discouraged they looked back and they saw Joshua extending the spear. And if they were scared, they looked back and they saw Joshua extending the spear. And even as they were coming, as the ambushes were coming out, they were a little bit apprehensive. We got, we suffered defeat before and 36 men were killed. I wonder if that's going to happen again. But they looked and the man of God had the spear out and they looked at the spear and they said, well, you know what? As long as that spear is extended, we know the victory is ours. They saw the symbol that I remind you today, you might get discouraged because of the way and you might feel defeated because of the way. But I remind you today, we've got more than a spear to look at we've got the cross of jesus christ and i want to encourage you today you look at the cross of jesus christ looking unto jesus who's the author and the finisher of our faith who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross despising the shame and is now set at the right hand of god and when the apostle paul wrote that chapter and that verse in hebrews 12 2 he was telling you and i you've got to get your eyes on jesus you've got to keep your eyes on the lord and remind yourself you will have contradictions and you will have difficulties and you will have setbacks and you'll have skeptics in your life and you'll have people that will doubt you and people to oppose you, but you just keep looking on to Jesus, because the Bible says, consider him which endures its contradiction and sinners, lest at any time you perish. And I'm saying this morning, they looked at that spear, and he showed in this, as he extended the spear, he didn't know what all that meant, and he didn't know where that meant, where that was going to go, but he knew one thing, I can trust God that I'm doing the right thing. He showed his cooperation, his obedience with God, and in this situation, if we're going to be a conqueror, we've got to trust God in what he tells us to do. We've got to cooperate exactly what God tells us to do. I'm going to tell you this morning, morning on the road to victory sometimes god puts in your heart i want you to do this brother anthony or he'll put on a heart he'll say brother thomas i want you to do this and he'll say brother jaime thank you for being here this morning brother jaime he said brother jaime i want you to do this and we may ask god god what do you really want me to do through all this situation what does that mean it, it means this just follow god just obey the Lord and say, God, I'm going to trust you. And as he said, extend the spear. The Bible says he held the spear out until the victory was there. I'm saying this morning, you need to stay in it. You need to cooperate with God. You need to follow the Lord. You need to trust God. You need to just say, God, I know you know what you're doing. And yes, extending that spear, it will get heavy. And extending that spear, it will go tiring. And you will wonder what's going to go on. But you keep holding on and you stay in it until God says it's all done and set for there. But notice in verses 19 to 29, we see the conquest in his conquering. The strategy that God gave to Josh resulted in their victory. Everyone did their part. No time was wasted. When we read these verses and God took meticulous time to detail it for us, 
Everything went down smoothly without a glitch. That's how God's will works. Isn't that? It went down smoothly without a glitch. In the last confrontation, Israel is running from the enemy. In this confrontation, Israel is running to victory. And it sounds cruel and harsh, but notice this in verse 29. They took the king of Ai captive. In verse 23. They hung him on a tree until sun was down. Until he was dead. The Bible says they took his body from the tree and cast it at the entry of the gate of the city. Notice this, they put a great heap of stones on it. Look at verse 28. Joshua burnt Ai and made it a heap forever, even a desolation this day. Remember what the name Ai means? What does it mean? A heap of ruins. Let me boil it down to where we're at this morning. I'm almost done. Every Christian has to struggle with an Ai. It was a smaller city than Jericho. You know what I've learned over the, over the years? Most of us as Christians, it's not the big sins we struggle with. We know what those are. It's the little sins. It's the little leaven that leaveneth the whole lump. It's the little foxes that spoil the vines. It's like, Lot saying to God, I know you want me to go to the mountains, but can I go to this little city of Zor? It's just a little one. It's the little things that we don't give attention to. It's the little things like, well, if I miss my Bible today, it's okay. If I miss it tomorrow, it's okay. If I miss some reading. And then it goes from one day to one week to one month to one year to many years. And then it's been a long time. And we're so used to being away from the Bible, being away from prayer, fellowship with God's people. Serving the Lord. They were so far backwards. The devil's convinced us. Not that you can't. But the devil's convinced us. It's too hard to get back in. And I want you to see today. That every one of us has an AI in our life. It's the sins of the flesh. It's our inhibitions. Of going against the things of God. It's just. It's something. That's a stumbling block in our life. Something that's tripping us up. It's a sin. It's an addictive behavior. It's negative thinking. It's bitterness we won't let go of. It's a spirit of unforgiveness. Whatever it may be, every one of us has an AI we've got to deal with. And I'm telling you this morning, when they dealt with AI, when they dealt with AI, the Bible says in verse 28, it was just a heap of ruins when they were done. And when they dealt with the king of Ai, they put him in a heap. And I'm saying this morning, the victory is not yours until it gets into a heap, until you recognize it's been defeated and you've stopped on it and you've beaten it with God's help, with God's name, with God's power. And it becomes a heap of ruins. And what God wants you and I to do when it comes in terms of fighting with the world and fighting with the flesh and fighting with the devil, we've got to have God's help and God's strategization on the matter and God's word to make it a heap of ruins. Because if it doesn't become a heap of ruins, it'll be a heap of ruins for your life in terms of ruining you as far as living for God. What a victory. Verse 29, the king of Ai hanged on a tree until eventide. As soon as the sun was down, Joshua commanded they should take his carcass down from the tree. 
and cast at the entering of the gate of the city. Raise thereon a great heap of stones. Remaineth unto this day. We see the words of a confidant. The Lord comes to you and comes to me. When we need him the most. We see the work of a conqueror. Conquerors get up. Conquerors are careful about their influence. Conquerors cooperate with God. Conquerors, conquerors as they follow the Lord, they don't compromise. Conquerors as they follow God, they, 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 they see the victory to the end and they make sure that what's left behind is not a monument of defeat, but a monument of victory. And as we close this morning, there's one more thing we have to see. Because where there's the words of a confidant and the work of a conqueror, I want you to notice that that's not the end of the chapter. That's not the end of what's going on. There's still another piece that's important to this sequence. I want you to notice this last thing as we close this morning. I want you to notice this morning the worship of a Christian. Because in the work of a conqueror, we just don't end there and gloat in our victory and rub our hands against it. Look what I did. No, it's not look what I did. It's look what Jesus did for me and you. Amen. We see the worship of a Christian. We need to get everything about our rebound and everything about our comeback and everything about our encouragement and getting back up. We need to see, he needs to focus back on the Lord. And you'll notice here as we close this morning in verses 32 to 35, we notice here the worship of a Christian. Now I want you to notice here that everything that Joshua was supposed to do was done in verses 28 and 29. And the very next thing we see here in verse 30 is that Joshua built an altar to the Lord God of Israel, Mount Ebal. Now, Joshua kept back in mind, I believe Joshua in his devotions and the reading of scriptures went back to the book of Deuteronomy. Those were the last words that Moses had. He went back and studied the book of Deuteronomy. By the way, that would be a good study for us just to go back to the book of Deuteronomy. If you understand all the things God laid out in Deuteronomy, you understand how the history, all the things that unfold in the history of Israel happened through the remainder of the Old Testament. And he starts going back to Deuteronomy and he reads these verses. And I wish I had time to go over all of them, but I want to give you these verses. He read in Deuteronomy eleven twenty nine, And it shall come to pass when the Lord thy God has brought thee into the land, whither thou goest to possess it. They were there. That thou shalt put the blessing upon Mount Gerizim and the curse about Mount Ebal. Mount Gerizim and Mount Ebal was right there in that vicinity where they were at. He says, you're going to put the blessing cursing there. Now, where, where is that going? Well, notice Deuteronomy 27, verses 1 to 3. He read Deuteronomy 27, verses 1 to 3. And the Moses said with the elders of Israel, commanded the people, saying, Keep all the commandments which I command you this day. That was important because they did keep the commandments after they left Jericho. And here's what's going on in his mind. He's thinking, God says, when you enter the land, I want you to do some things there. And I'm watching Deuteronomy 27. He said, I want you to keep the commandments and it shall be on the day when you shall pass over Jordan. It shall be on the day when you pass over Jordan, that river, unto the land which the Lord thy God giveth thee. That's on that time when they cross over the other side from the east to the west. They cross the Jordan River with God's help. And now their first city they would conquer would be Jericho. He says, as soon as you get into the land and pass over Jordan to the land which the Lord thy God giveth thee. He says, thou shalt set thee up great stones and plaster them with plaster. And thou shalt write upon them all the words of this law when thou art passed over that thou mayest go into the land... Which the Lord thy God giveth thee, a land that flow with milk and honey, as the Lord God of thy fathers promised. And watch this. They were focused as a people on the promises, but God told them you better focus on the precepts as well. You focus on what the land, but I want you to focus on the Lord. You focus on the on what you're going to inherit about the honey, but I want you to focus upon the honey of God's word. He said, I need you to understand the moment you get victory in that land, you've got to set up some big stones there and you've got to put plaster on them because on that plaster, you're going to put all the word of God. And listen, 
what's his name? Joshua did what you and I need to do. When we suffer defeat, when difficult times come, we get it back into the Word of God and say, God, what did I miss here? And God, what is it you want me to learn? And God, what is it that I need to garner from this? And he got that in his devotions. He read through Deuteronomy, the book of Deuteronomy, in chapter 11, and chapter 27, and 28. We find Joshua here leading the congregation of all of Israel into the worship of God and doing all the right things they needed to do. They understood from Deuteronomy 27, verses 9 and 10, they were not just people in the land. They were the people of God. And I want to remind you this morning, the people that assemble here at Heritage Baptist Church, you're just not another congregation of people. You're just not people that came here because you had nothing to do. We are the people of God this morning. And as the people of God, we have a responsibility to respond to the things of God this morning. And so when there's a rebound, notice in verses 30 to 35, we must give glory back to God. Would you notice very quickly as we close the worship? In verses 30 32, they had to construct and erect an altar. An altar of whole stones. That altar is a picture of Jesus Christ, our solid rock upon which saving faith rests upon. Upon these stones, and we'll see in a moment, he, the Bible says in verse 32, and he wrote there upon these stones. That's what he's following through with Deuteronomy. Told me. He wrote there upon those stones a copy of the law of Moses. I think he wrote all the book of Deuteronomy on there. He plastered God's word. Listen, that new building, you're going to see God's word. That building's all about God's word. The church is all about God's word. He says, establish the altar. Altars were a place where sacrifices were made. Altars were places where tears flowed. Altars were places where blood was shed. Altars were places where death occurred. Altars were places where great things happened. Notice they had burnt offerings. And they had peace offerings. And they had all of that. And they used whole stones. They didn't use chipped stones and broken stones. Hey, aren't you glad, by the way, Jesus is not chipped. And Jesus is not broken. But Jesus is altogether the lovely one this morning. Aren't you glad Jesus Christ is that whole stone and the cornerstone for the church? church this morning and keep in mind there was no rushing there was no time limit the being at the altar was a sacred time we rushed to get out of church we rushed to get through our devotions we rushed to get out of our prayer time but back in those days when they established the altar there was no rushing there was no time limit they expressed their hearts freely when god said get up when they got up there we see an altar at this place to worship and i'm saying this morning every christian you need an altar when you worship god you need a place you identify with where you kneel and you meet with god and god meets with you you need a place where every now and then the tears flow and you need a place at that altar where you're going to make some sacrifice to God and you need a place at altar where you make some commitments to God and you need a place at altar you just can say my Jesus I love thee I know thou art mine and you just tell Jesus you love him this morning amen you tell Christ amazing grace how sweet the sound you just get there and flow your heart and let your heart flow and you just have yourself a Baptocostal time you say what's that it's Baptist having the enthusiasm of Pentecostal amen not the doctor of a Pentecost, but the enthusiast of a Pentecost. Amen. You can go. So I'm afraid to wave my hands in church. You should be. But you can wave your hands when you're having prayer time by, by yourself with God. Amen. There's an altar. There's an altar. Do you have an altar? When's the last time you've been to the altar? Elijah had to repair a broken altar. And if you're miserable, you're disgruntled. You're negative. You're not positive. Looking for faults. I can trace the problem to whether or not you have an altar or not. We see an altar. Notice secondly, quickly, we see an assembly. Everybody was there. I said everybody was there. He meant everybody was there. 
Israel, verse 33, and their elders and their officers and their judges stood on one side of the ark, and those stood, there were others that stood on the other side of the ark, as the Levites were holding the ark of God, as well as the stranger. And he that was born among them, and half of them were, were appointed towards Mount Gerizim, and half of them were pointed over to Mount Ebal. Let me write, tell you this real quickly, because we need to get done. Mount Gerizim means cutting off. Six tribes were assigned to stand upon Mount Gerizim as a testimony to the blessings of God. Mount Ebal means barren. Six tribes stood against Mount, Mount, Mount Ebal to, to stand there as a testimony of the curses of God. On one side, Gerizim, the blessings. On one side, Ebal for the cursing. Now, if you go to Deuteronomy 28, you'll understand this. As he's giving out the word of God, he's giving blessings, he's giving curses. What was the response of the people? Anybody remember? What did they say? Amen! He read the blessings. Amen. They read the cursings. Amen. He read the, what, what's amen mean? So be it, Lord. So be it. That means the people were interactively with it when the word of God was being read. As the blessings and the cursings were being made, the people were interactively with it. Hey, it's okay, brother and sister in Christ. You can say amen every now and then. Amen. And you can say, so be it, Lord, every now and then. And you could just say, Lord, thank you for your word and rejoice in Jesus Christ. This was a gay congregation that came. They came and worshiped. Nobody was left out. They came for the worship of God. So Psalms 40, verse 9 and 10. I have preached righteousness in the great congregation. Lo, I have not refrained my lips, O Lord, thou knowest. I have not hid thy righteousness within my heart. I have declared thy faithfulness unto thy, and thy salvation. I have not concealed thy loving kindness and thy truth from the great congregation. Notice Hebrews chapter 10, verse 24. And let us consider one another to provoke unto love and to good works, not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together as the manner of some is, but exhorting one another. So much the more as you see the day approaching. We see assembly that came that was thankful to worship of God, an assembly that came with no time limit, no constraint, and they just said, you know, we're going to come to that altar, and there we're going to worship God. But as we notice this final thing, we not only see the assembly, we not only see the altar, but you notice the authority. God's word was prominent all over this. Notice what it tells us here very quickly. And afterwards, he read all the words of the law, the blessings and the cursings according to all that is written in the book of the law. Notice verse 35. There was not a word of all that Moses commanded, which Joshua read not before all the congregation of Israel with the women and the little ones and the strangers that were conversing among them. Listen, let me give you some things and we're done. There was a revival of God's word. There was a reinforcement of God's word. There was not a word of all that Moses commanded, which he read not. It's okay to preach the same passage again. Amen. There was rejoicing in the word of God. The word of God was written over again in its entirety. God was preserving his word before that generation. And God was fulfilling what he told Joshua in Joshua 1 This book of the law shall not depart out of thy mouth, but thou shalt meditate therein day and night, that thou mayest observe to do according to all that is written therein. For then thou shalt make thy way prosperous, and then thou shalt have good success. You know what he's saying? We're going full circle. You want success? Get in the word of God. Amen. We see the worship of a Christian. The preaching of God's word. The word of God. That's the centrality of worship in our local New Testament churches. The centrality of worship is not worshiping God in the flesh. The centrality of worship is not worshiping God according to your imagination. And the centrality of worship is not having some knucklehead up here who calls himself a worship leader, getting up here waving his arms and drawing attention to himself. No, and Jesus said, if I be lifted up, I will draw men unto myself. The centrality of worship is Jesus Christ and the Word of God this morning. Verse 29. In the background of all this was the king of Ai who was hung on a tree. 
He was condemned for his crimes and for his sins. He hung on that tree to the end of the day. They took his body down. They threw it at the gate, put a heap of stones on it. And the man's body rotted there. That man died for his sins. That man died for his crime. But a few thousand years later, another king came. The king came from heaven and took upon him the form of a man. And being found in fashion as man, he humbled himself and became obedient to death, even the death of the cross. And that king, King Jesus, came to die for your sins and mine. He too was hung on a tree. And he hung on that tree before the, as, as the, dawn, the sun was setting. As he hung on that tree, they took his old body down, dead and lifeless. They put him in a tomb, but praise God, that body's not in that tomb anymore. He came out of that tomb. Instead of being a bunch of stones on him, he rolled the stone away and he came out. And they said, he's alive. And I'm going to tell you this morning, Jesus Christ is alive. He's alive. The king of Ai died for his sins. The king of heaven died for your sins and mine. He died for your sins. He offers to you the wonderful gift of eternal life. The death of the king of Ai did nothing for anybody else. The death of Jesus Christ, his resurrection from the dead, offers you the gift of eternal life. Are you saved? Do you know for sure you're going to heaven? Do you have your sins forgiven, past, present, future? I invite you this morning, come to Jesus. Come to Jesus. Are you down, discouraged? You can go from reversal to rebound. Arise. Arise. Get up. Go forward. Follow the Lord. Cooperate with God. Realize you're going up. You're getting up. Other people are watching you. And just the fact you took a step forward might help somebody else to take a step forward. We give the invitation. You know what to do. If you need to get saved, I invite you to get saved today. You know you need to come forward. You do that this morning. Go from reversal to rebound. God's there for you. The Word of God came to Joshua, and the Word of God comes to you today. Father, this morning, please bless and use the invitation time to stir our hearts, build up our lives, cause us now to be moved to that place where, Lord, we're moved to action. Not to sit back and be discouraged because of the AI, but to rise above the AI and see that, Lord, there's victory in Jesus. Thank you, Josh, is a picture of going from reversal to rebound. And this morning, you give us that same picture, an opportunity to live for you. I wonder across the room how many Christians would say, Pastor, Joshua chapter 8 spoke to me today. I'm going through some difficult times. I'm going through struggle. I'm dis- I was discouraged, but God has shown me I can be more than a conqueror. Pray for me this morning that I will live as a conqueror. You'd raise your hand. God bless you. Who else would say, Pastor, pray for me. I need to live as a conqueror. Who else this morning? I'm facing some challenges and difficulties. I need to live as a conqueror. Raise your hand. Don't be ashamed of Jesus. Rise up. Rise up. Rise up. You don't have to let the little AIs defeat you. You can rise up this morning. You can put your hands on. How many would say this morning, God, I'm not sure I'm saved, but I want to get saved. I'm not 100% sure I'm going to heaven, but I want to know for sure. Would you raise your hand and say, Pastor, pray for me. I'm not sure I'm going to heaven, but I want to know for sure. God bless you, sir. Who else? Who else this morning? You're not sure you're going to heaven, but you want to be sure today. Don't wait. You're not sure you're saved. We invite you this morning. We want to help you today. Show you from the Word of God how you can be saved. God came to Joshua. God comes to you. How many say this morning, I'm not sure I'm saved, but I want to know for sure how to go to heaven. Don't leave today. Don't leave today without knowing that. Don't wait another day. We'll just wait. Who else this morning? 
Who else? Who else today? You're not certain you're going to heaven, but you want to know for sure. Dear Lord, this morning, as folks with tender hearts are being counseled and helped, would you have your perfect, wonderful, loving way now? So we give the invitation. I pray that today we'd rise up in faith. We'd rise up in courage. We'd rise up in hope. We'd rise up in determination. We'd rise up, Lord, out of the ashes of the heap of ruins and stand firm upon your Son, Jesus Christ. Lord, help us to consider Him which endured such contradiction of sinners, lest at any time we perish. Father, would you help us today? Would you give us boldness today? Would you give us strength in the invitation? I pray we'd come. And come, Lord, without pretension and without fear. God, you told, you told Joshua, fear not. I'm with thee. Lord, would you get the courage today and help those without Christ who are being counseled with today. You brought them to church to hear the blessed gospel. Save souls this morning. Make the word of God clear to them that they accept Christ today as their Savior as we give the invitation. Let's stand every head bowed and every eye closed. You can stand. Folks are being counseled and helped. Would you come this morning? I invite Just you to come this morning. Just as I am, without one plea, would you come? It's time. It's time to meet business with God. It's time to meet business with Jesus. You come right now. Don't wait. You feel discouraged. Rise up. Rise up. Come out. Come out. The Lord's there for you. Jesse got Joshua past a difficult moment. He can get you and me past a difficult moment. You come. If you're not sure you're saved, we invite you to come. We want you to get saved this morning. We sing another stanza. Please don't delay. Let's come. If you knew this was your last service, this is your last in earth, what does God need to hear from you? Let's make it real today. My soul of one dark blot to thee, whose blood can cleanse each still movement. We're going to sing another song, another stanza. Come this morning, don't delay. Rise up, rise up. I come just as I am, though tossed about with Our Father in heaven, thank you so much this morning for the congregation, what David called the great congregation that's assembled here at church this morning, and for this encouraging, wonderful passage. Even as Josh extended the spear and pointed and gave direction, Lord, you're pointing us to the cross. You're pointing sinners to the cross to be saved. You're pointing believers today to follow the example that you've established. Father, give us faith. Give us courage this morning to follow you and trust you. Give us love to love the unlovely. Give us forgiveness to forgive the unforgiving. Give us sweetness where there's bitter bitterness. Lord, give us joy where there's sorrow. Lord, give us peace where there's unrest. God, help you have your way, we pray today. May there just be a sweet, permeating spirit for your glory. We pray for this today in Jesus' name. Amen.